Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Abby Carcio. And I'm your other host, Sydney Cummings. And from wherever you're listening, welcome to Megged, a women's soccer podcast where we talk about anything and everything related to the women's professional sport. These are our unsolicited football opinions. You didn't ask for them, but we're going to give them. And who knows? Maybe you'll agree. Maybe you'll disagree. But that's the beauty of the game and what's kept us friends for so long. This episode, we'll be recapping 16 games from group play of the Women's World Cup. Move your feet. This is Megged. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Megged. Abby, how are you? I'm doing well, Sid. This World Cup is crazy surprises every morning for me. But aside from that, doing well, chilling with friends. I actually got to work one of the Brown ID clinics, so got to see the staff over there and relive my college days. So overall, doing well. How are you doing, Sid? I am jealous. I just want everyone to know, Abby and I used to work those camps every single one, every summer, and we had so much fun. Oh God, I miss doing that together. The staff at Brown is so great. Like we would always have such a fun time and it's been a while since I've worked one. So I'm jealous of you. That's how I'm doing. No, I'm good. I'm just living it up in San Diego continuously, started a new book, which is always fun. Um, The weather here has actually been very similar to the East Coast, like really humid. So not the biggest fan of that. But like you said, Abby, this World Cup is insane. I feel like I wake up every morning and I'm just like immediately filled with endorphins because there's a a shock, there's a great scoreline, like whatever. So I just feel like this World Cup is bringing me so much joy. I wish I was able to watch way more of it live and I'll continue to complain about this. But alas, it's a fabulous World Cup. One of the reasons why it's such a fabulous World Cup, World Cup attendance has officially surpassed 1 million. I am so happy to hear that. Like, I feel like even just watching, I have a lot of friends that are still down in Australia that are attending games. The atmosphere is insane. So I'm really hoping that this is going to be a really positive turn for the women's game um, and that whatever comes after this is an upward trajectory for everyone fighting with their federation for just the women's game in general about bringing in, you know, closing that gap between the best team and, and, you know, maybe not the worst team, but, you know, just continuing, continuing to close that gap between skill level and talent. Cause a lot of that comes down to resources. Yeah. I mean, this stat looks great. I'm excited for a big number, but I'm also not going to get too excited until after the entire tournament, take a look at, all of the figures and compare them to what our projections were and where we need to be at. So excited, but not too excited. Okay. You're a cynic. Other news, not cynic. Can't be a cynic with this. Kira Walsh did not tear her ACL. feel like that's really important to mention since we've talked a lot about, you know, ACL tears in this podcast and because she's very important to this England squad. However, Abby, you and I spoke offline. What do you think that this still means for, for her and the team? Yeah, so positive news is no ACL, no year-long recovery. So that's excellent for Kira, excellent for the English national team. But this doesn't necessarily mean that she'll be back in this tournament. And I am a cynic, Sid, and I don't know if we'll see her again. I don't know what her injury is. They haven't been transparent about it, but we're wishing her all the best on the recovery, whatever the injury is. 
in terms of what this means for England, I'm excited to dive into that later in this podcast. I think there's a tactical masterclass from Serena Wegman. Excited to chat about it. Well, then let's get started. We're going to kick things off with Argentina versus South Africa. Kicking things off with Argentina versus South Africa. This game was a bit entertaining. It was a seesaw. I thought South Africa did well. They were playing with freedom. They had great movements moving forward, direct play, getting shots, getting corners. I felt like they defensively lost their shape sometimes when they were clearing their lines because they were really going forward. But all in all, I thought they played really well. Argentina on the other side, I think played well at the end of the game to come back down. However, let's talk about that offside call, Abby. Tell me your thoughts, because I was yelling at my TV. Yeah, so this is like all I care about in this match is this weird offside call. So essentially, South Africa was going to goal. The referee calls offsides. They finish the play, and so they score a goal. But Argentina, the defenders, they stopped because obviously they took a look at the AR who had an offside flag up. VAR takes a look. There was no offsides. The ball is called a goal. This is infuriating to me, especially if I'm an Argentina defender, because personally speaking, when I'm playing, I always look at the AR to see if they're raising a flag or not. If they do, of course, I'm going to stop. I would never keep going after I know it's offsides. But in this case, you have to keep going. Like, oh my gosh, I think it was so confusing for a fan of the game, but also infuriating for a player. Yeah, I. this has happened a few times, I feel like, where goals have been reviewed and then it's not offside. I feel like any coach is going to say, you have to play to the whistle, like 100%, because the beautiful thing about this game, even with VAR, is human error. And so I personally feel like Argentina never should have given up in that scenario, especially if you were that... Okay, so Abby, I think you did a really good job of explaining it, but the girl who kept them onside was so disconnected from her back line that I feel like if that's you, you better bust your butt because there's no way she didn't know that she kept them on. She was so far back compared to her line. I don't know how they're that disconnected. I just feel like you have to keep playing. I understand it's obviously not, you know, it's confusing, especially when the AR puts up their flag, but... I just feel like that's the new the new life we live with VAR. Like, you can't trust anything. You have to play everything through. Yeah, but I completely disagree with you here, Sid, because the AR shouldn't have raised a flag if that's the case. Let VAR make the decision. You raising your flag is going to offset the defense. I just, I just completely disagree with you. I guess, like, I see your point in, like, don't stop. But no, if the AR raises her flag, I'm going to trust that the referee is making a call. Yeah, but... I agree. I agree with that part. The AR shouldn't have raised their flag because that's the new rule. Like, you're not supposed to do that. However, like, you know VAR is a thing. So why are you giving up? Like, you know that can get overturned. I don't think it's been widely talked about or that's happened a lot of times for them to really understand that. I don't know. I I think it's just like a mentality thing. We were also so different about this in college. Like the ball would be a millimeter out and you were like, the ball's out. And I'm like, just play on. Like, I think this is just like a fundamental difference between our game. But like, 
I don't know. To me, I just feel like not that I mean, obviously they ended up coming back in that game and you know, the the silver liner, Braun hit a banger to get them back into the game. And I think that that's really positive. But at the end of the day, like you put yourself in that position. So for me, I I do feel like that's really important in this game. But I also feel like what's really important is South Africa was having the same problem is having the same problem throughout games. Like they can't close. And I feel like that's definitely something to pay attention to in future games. So that is Argentina versus South Africa, 2-2 draw. Next game we're going to touch on is England versus Denmark. This was a 1-0 win for England. This is when, you know, that injury occurred with Kira Walsh. The one thing that I do want to say, separate from that, because I'm sure, Abby, you have notes on that. Lauren James, heating up. I feel like she had multiple opportunities in the first 20 minutes. It was a great decision to start her. She brought a ton of energy that I felt like they've been needing. The only thing is that they're committing a lot of numbers forward. And I feel like on defensive transitions, especially without having that partnership of Bright and Williamson, they're not as organized as as they used to be. Um, But I I just feel like they need to put more away to add pressure to an opponent. And I felt like on the flip side, when Walsh left the game, Denmark kind of took advantage of that. So I feel like it was a good game tactically. Yeah, I think Denmark did a great job scouting England, realized that their outside backs get uber high. They were able to expose that space out wide and get service in. So they definitely created chances. And as you said, Sid, after Walsh went out, their chances definitely increased. But Lauren James, like you said, oh, someone said she's a freaking cheat code. That is so real. Her brother said she's technically better than some players that play in the English Premier League, and I would concur with that one. So excited to see that young player shine. And and I think this is only the beginning for her. She's heating up throughout this tournament. Super excited to see her in the knockout rounds. And we'll definitely talk about her performance in the following game as well coming up. But that was England versus Denmark, one nothing England. The next game we're going to cover, which was also in this group, was China versus Haiti. Personnel-wise, I thought this was interesting for both sides. One, Dumonet did not start. She had a muscle injury. They opted for her to come on later on in the game. On the flip side, China went down to 10 aside because they had a red card early on. I thought it was a nasty tackle. Really glad that Haitian player was okay. Obviously an accident. But I thought those two decisions impacted the game a lot. For sure. I mean, Dumonet is Haiti's player. Like, you need her on the field as many minutes as possible. And, you know, in a World Cup, if she's able to play minutes, why not put her in for 90? That's my question. Um, And then on the other side, yeah, China's red card, especially in the 28th minute, very early on, they did an excellent job rebounding, playing with 10 women and staying above Haiti in this match. Yeah, honestly, I think that China did really well coming back. A goal is a goal. We've seen people not convert PKs this tournament. So I thought that was really good on them. But overall, I felt like Haiti played better. I understand their passion in defending, but to give up that PK and give up that foul, that needs to happen higher up the pitch. It's just, it's difficult. Like you can't foul in the box and not expect a, a PK call. On the flip side, I think there was a missed PK against China. Coming over the back is a foul, and that's what the Chinese defender did over the Haitian forward, and it's a foul everywhere else on the pitch, so that makes it a PK in the box. I've been called for that so many times as a foul. I don't see why that wasn't called as a PK, especially with the VAR review. So I feel like this game should have ended up, at least with the opportunity to end up as a 1-1 draw. 
Yeah, unfortunately, although VAR is supposed to take the subjectivity out of it, there is still an element there and can do you dirty like it did for Haiti. So that's China versus Haiti, 1-0 win for China. Next game that we're going to cover is Sweden versus Italy. Sweden, have yourself a game. They generated so many shots. I think that Italy had a hard time withstanding that pressure. I think they did a good job possession-wise. You know, it was pretty even in terms of, you know, who was keeping the ball. But at the end of the day, I just feel like Sweden wanted it way more. They were aggressive. They were physical. They were clinical. And that's what it takes to win. Yeah, we also see on the stats, Sid, that it's 13-1 to in Sweden's favor for fouls. And if that doesn't show what team's more aggressive than the other, I don't know what does. So I liked Sweden's approach to this match. And Italy, you know, next time, maybe going into it, you got to put in some hard tackles and show them who's boss to kind of set the tempo of this game. And I feel like looking at this game, these were the two teams that we said, you know, they have a really good chance of finishing first and second. And if you were dominating the person that's supposed to come second 5-0, you've done your job. But I honestly, Italy's play in this tournament, I have been very underwhelmed um it's been super up and down lack of consistency possession hasn't been terrible I think they're doing a good job of keeping the ball but it's like everything else that comes after that so this domination by Sweden Italy I feel like has a lot to to improve on and and regroup with that is Sweden versus Italy five nothing Sweden next game we're going to touch on is France versus Brazil this was a really anticipated game because again teams predicted to be first and second I want to ask you a question, Abby. Why do good teams play better against better teams, in your opinion? I think there's a lot to be said about energy. Like, you kind of match the tempo and energy of the other team because you have to, right? You don't get a chance to play down. If you do, you're going to lose for sure. So, yeah, I'm going to chop it up to to energy. I feel like France played so well in this game as compared to their opener against Jamaica. They broke up Brazil's play. It's hard to dominate the game if you can't play. And it's hard when you have a set style to change. Obviously, tactically, they can change. And I think their wingers were a bit more narrow. So I thought that was the same. But at the end of the day, their style remains the same, right? They love to dance on the ball. And I just felt like France disrupted that so much. Yeah, I think there was a lot of back and forth. This was basically a box-to-box game constantly in movement, which we love to see on both sides. But I want to talk about the goals, Sid. What did you think about these these goals for both sides? First one, I felt like, you know, standard. That came down to grit, fighting for the ball. Second one, I felt like was world-class by Dabinia, being able to take that touch off the side of her foot. I feel like the announcers and and people kind of just, like, let that go because it's Dabinia. But... That is so hard to do, and I felt like that was world-class. And then Wendy Renard's goal in the back post, my initial th- – I have two thoughts. My initial thought is well done by her, right? Again, game on game on the line, putting your team on your back. I think that's great. The other thing I want to say, whose idea was it to leave her unmarked at the back post? I'm pretty sure she was initially marked, but the defender wasn't touched tight, actually ended up chasing the ball and went near post. And like, I just feel like if that's your mission, if that's the role that you're tasked with in that game, you better be on her like white on rice. Yes, yeah, if I'm going against Wendy Renard, I'm going to put three freaking players on her because she's their target. You have a few other French players who can put the ball in the back of the net, but you should at least be double marking her. And at the very least, you should be touched tight. That's the first note that 
I saw was she was basically unmarked. But I want to go back to that goal by Dabinia said that you mentioned world class. This goes to show for all of the people who say they don't want to juggle or they don't want to do an outside the boot volley because it doesn't matter in a game or it's not applicable. Watch this goal because that's exactly what this is. She pops that ball up perfectly flat foot on the surface. She pops it up, brilliant touch and finishes. So that's a perfect example to all of my kids that I train individually. That's exactly why we do outside the boot volleys. And for all the kids that Abby trains individually, she used to do those with me and I hated them too. So it's okay, but it is useful. That is France versus Brazil, 2-1 France. Other game in this group was Jamaica versus Panama. First World Cup win for Jamaica. Oh, I was so happy. They played really well, I thought, especially without Bunny Shaw, um, because obviously she was out with the red card in the previous match. And I felt like they had so many chances. Like this really could have been a higher scoreline for them. Yeah, tough to be without their starlet Shaw, but I think you saw players step up for Jamaica. One of those is Drew Spence, who plays her football in England. I thought she was really working for her team, managed to control the energy, but also the tempo of the match. And yeah, I'm super excited for Jamaica. Also, another clean sheet for them. Yeah, I felt like Jamaica looked comfortable. They were taking chances, backing themselves, 1v1 shots. Spence had great shots, great free kick shot. I really I really liked the, the pace on that ball. Panama on the other side, I thought they were way too deep defensively. They were giving way too much time on the ball. They were caught ball watching, diving in, beehive defending. So I feel like they honestly got a bit lucky with this scoreline. But, you know, growing pains, it... it can take a while to to get into a tournament. It can take a while to understand like the speed of play and such. But I feel like Jamaica is the main focus of this game. I feel like they're putting things together in this tournament and their stock is rising. And so I'm excited for them as a team and, you know, what that is going to mean for CONCACAF and the Federation and et cetera. That is Jamaica versus Panama, 1-0 Jamaica. Next game is Morocco versus South Korea. Go Morocco! It was a newbie win. It was so, so good. I felt like they needed to get adjusted into this tournament. And it's hard. It's hard to get adjusted. They had such a quality finish. I felt like defensively, they needed to be more aware of runners and extra players in the box, you know, being touched tight with their marking. But to get a goal early on and, and hold that lead, get the shutout, well done. Yeah, I think they surprised Korea a little bit. So the goal was scored in the first five minutes. They had great energy. Um, but overall, I think both sides had a plethora of chances. And at the end of the day, Morocco was able to put their one away. That is Morocco versus South Korea, 1-0 Morocco. The next game we're going to touch on is Norway versus Philippines. And what I want to say is it's about freaking time, Norway. Maybe this is a different tournament if they played the Philippines first. Like, maybe they just needed that, but so much better, so much better. Just, like, quality finishes all around. They started early, didn't let their foot off the gas, and I feel like that was the result they needed. Yeah, welcome to the World Cup, Norway. Finally, they arrived on the big stage. 6-0 scoreline is nothing to shake your head about. I want to talk a little bit about the changes that Coach Hegerisa made. Hansen's back in the lineup and you didn't have Hegeberg. I think those two things had different impacts. But there was some blowback in the news. How true this is, I don't know. But it seems like a lot of the Norwegian players are not too happy with Hegerisa's coaching style and decisions. 
Yeah, I saw that as well. And I'll be honest, I think you have to take like you can't take that lightly um, because this is a good this is a good squad. And, and we're seeing this with other teams. I'm thinking of the U.S. as well. Like it's a good squad. And if things aren't clicking, it's not always on the players. And I feel like it's something that it will probably be looked into post tournament. But as of now, like you said, you can't shake your head too too much at a six nil scoreline. On the flip side, I think the Philippines didn't necessarily play poorly. I just felt like they were a bit out of their league. They they looked tired. They've sustained a lot of pressure in this tournament. They weren't stepping out. And I thought they were trying to stay compact defensively, but sometimes you can get broken down easier that way. So so I felt like overall, like, good tournament, and they'll probably be a completely different team in four years, and that's a positive for me. Yeah, to get a win against the host – I mean, is something to go home with in your back pocket and get ready for the next four years because I think Philippines is going to inject a good investment into their program. That is Norway versus Philippines, 6-0 win for Norway. Speaking of hosts, we're going to talk about New Zealand. New Zealand, Switzerland. This game had a lot of potential. Obviously, we talked about the fact that New Zealand dropped to Philippines and how that literally popped their balloon. It really popped their bubble. They still had a chance. This was a really good opportunity for them to to score and and to win. And something that we've talked about with this squad from from the get-go was their inability to score. Yeah, this was a must-win for New Zealand. And in order to win a match, you need to score goals. I was surprised that New Zealand kept their shape similar to what they played in the last two games. I would throw four attackers forward, honestly. Like, you have nothing to lose at this point, except you have everything to lose. It was disheartening to see that they didn't change their tactics too much to get the win. But overall, I think the better team went through with Switzerland. um, And I'm excited to see them progress into the knockout stage. Yeah, and this was the first time that a host nation didn't make it past the group stage. I do feel like there needs to be an asterisk at that because obviously there's two host countries and this was a very big challenge for New Zealand you know like would they have necessarily qualified if they weren't hosts I don't know so I think that it it's obviously probably demoralizing to hear that but there are so many positives for me for New Zealand from this tournament so definitely looking forward to see what's next for them that is New Zealand versus Switzerland 0-0 draw Next game we're going to talk about is Germany versus Colombia. This was such an entertaining game. Obviously, love a good upset. I feel like I probably wasn't the only one. A bit of shock. Abby, this was your pick. Obviously, a loss doesn't necessarily mean you're done for. But I just felt like they didn't look short. Like, they were losing possession. Did they have heavy legs? Um, I thought Oberdorf stepped in and played well, though. So I was I was excited to see someone who you flagged do really well in that game. Yeah, I think she also got up the pitch, which I wasn't expecting so much. But yeah, I was definitely surprised to see the scoreline for Germany, but I still back them. I think they're going to win the whole thing. Uh, I said it here, folks. One thing I noticed right away, Columbia's kits looked absolute fire. So look good, play good, right, Sid? Yeah, honestly, I wasn't. I actually thought the opposite. I just like didn't love the combination with the shorts, um, which is so funny saying that but no I but they probably looked good feel good because they were playing with so much fun and I felt like they were giving it everything they had and that I felt like really shined through I mean Caseo 
take, take a bow. Like the goals that they scored, I just felt like it, it was just like the mentality piece for me. I felt like they had so much more confidence than Germany. I think Casado, like you have to give her complete credit for that goal. Cheeky in the box does up three defenders for Germany. I mean, it's tough in the box as a defender. Like you don't want to go in on her and, and cause a PK, but like at the end of the day, you can't give them that space to score, but she did so well in that situation. I think the second goal for Colombia was complete mismanagement of a set piece of Germany. You look at their starting positions. They were completely in zone. I detest when teams go completely in zone. It was an easy knock-in for Colombia. She was unmarked and the, and the German defenders didn't move. Yeah, that's the one thing I'll say about a zone. Like the issue about a zone is that everyone is responsible for a space. And sometimes it's easy to point blame and, you know, point fingers. The thing about a zone, it's fine, but someone has to move. She was completely unmarked. I, I'm not 100% sure how far out she was, but it was at least like, we're talking like PK kind of distance. So to put in a header unmarked from at least 12 yards out, like, the keeper's blocked by that zone because they're sitting on top of you. No one's contesting that ball. Even if you just go up with her, you just make it difficult. Like, I completely agree. That is poor management. Like, does that scare you at all thinking about that? Because to me, that's a mentality piece. Yeah, I mean, space doesn't score, players do. And so I think they stuck to their guns. That's probably what the scout was for them. But good on Columbia for opening up that space. And perhaps they scouted Germany better than Germany did them. That is Germany versus Colombia, 2-1 Colombia. Next game also had a bit of a eye-opening scoreline, Spain versus Japan. Not how I saw this. The stats for this game are absolutely insane. Like, Japan barely touched the ball in the offensive third. I think it was like for their, their first three goals, every touch in, in, the, in Spain's 18 resulted in a goal like they're so clinical and dangerous going forward and I feel like on the flip side Spain is so focused on their offensive pressure that they need to shore themselves up defensively yeah take a bow Japan you are the most efficient team I have seen so far in the World Cup but honestly Sid I have more frustration than anything at this Spanish team I think there were two pieces that were really doing me in the first is Spain's defense I think right now the head coach is probably kicking himself for not bringing Mappy Leon into this squad. The defense, like you said, Spain plays very high. They pressure the ball. It works well for them. But when they get caught in transition, you usually have Mappy Leon, who is very quick to sweep up anything of danger. Now you only have Paredes all alone on an island back there. And goals were scored because of this deficiency. And so we go back to what we talked about in previous podcasts is this 15 that were sent out of the squad. I think you're seeing the deficits of that play out in this World Cup right now. The other aspect is where is the scout for Spain? Because Japan has scored multiple goals the same way. They have Junendo with the ball at her feet. She plays an early ball in behind, perfect texture, rounding the back line. And then you have a Japan runner coming in and finishes with class. That has been scored two times before in this World Cup, and I don't understand where the scout is for Spain. Yeah, I, I agree. I feel like Japan is the reason why they're clinical is because they're able to do the same thing over and over again. And they're very disciplined. So, you know, if you give them that opportunity and they see a shot that they've seen 10 times before, chances are it's going to go in the back of the net again. I also feel like they're they're disciplined defensively. And so 
that's causing that was causing troubles for Spain. But I I agree with you. I don't think that this should have been a four nil score line at all, given the way that Spain has been performing in this tournament. And I feel like so much of it came down to maybe this is something to ask Abby, like good teams, I think have their style. Like you're not going to necessarily change the way you play for someone else. You want someone else to change for you. However, in this moment, I feel like you have to, you don't have to change, but you have to understand who your opponent is. And I feel like Spain thought they could just walk into this game, play the kind of football that they normally play, which they did. The Their possession percentage, their passing accuracy, their shots, their shots numbers, all high, all great. But at the end of the day, you have to know your opponent. And Japan is clinical. And and I just felt like, yeah, maybe this was a, ta- maybe this was a tactical error. Yeah, like I said, Sid, I think the error was made not taking Matthew Leone at the beginning of this tournament. But now you're here with the players you've chosen. And to leave Paredes on an island like that, I think is doing her a disservice, but also screws your team in the end of the day. Four goals were scored on you. That's not to be taken lightly. Japan's a great squad, but are they four goals better than you? I think that's a tactical error that the head coach needs to take a look at. I think Japan just wanted it more, and it shows in the scoreline. That's Spain versus Japan, 4-0 Japan. Next game is Zambia versus Costa Rica. Love this. It was a newbie versus newbie. I also want to say Zambia, this was the team I feel like I've been waiting for. I was very impressed, very happy with their play. I felt like they did a good job defending their 18 with sacrifice, and that was missing in previous games. They were a little too disorganized. And really cool milestone happened in this game. Barbara Banta, who's only 23, by the way, scored the 1,000th goal of Women's World Cup history. I feel like that's poetic for this tournament, that it was a PK, because PKs are are a theme of this. So I, I was very happy with Zambia overall in this game. Costa Rica, I thought second half was better, but wasn't wasn't super happy on, on their end. Yeah, I mean, I think this was great for both teams. Both teams got on the score sheet. Zambia scored in the first two minutes of the game, which shows excellent energy and their just desire to have a good result in this tournament. Like you said, Sid, Barbara Banta, only 23. She's going to be one to watch for years to come. And I think this was a great experience for Costa Rica. They fought to the end of the match. They never gave up. And I think overall, great experience for both sides. That is Zambia versus Costa Rica, 3-1 Zambia. Next game is Ireland versus Nigeria. This game, I I mean, it was it, it had a lot riding on it, right? Like we talked about the fact that Ireland could disrupt a, lo- a lot of things with the result here, which they weren't able to do. Um, and I, I think it's good for Nigeria. You come out undefeated coming out of this group. And obviously we know now the, the positive implications of that they've done really well best player for me so far has been their keeper uh and then on the flip side i think Oshwala is a tank right she's the most dangerous player going forward she's electric uh, i just think that you know they're gonna have to score and put chances away in the next round for me that's my biggest my biggest flag yeah i had a lot riding on this match ireland is kind of the team that I fell in love with in this tournament, but also I have a lot of friends on Nigeria's national team. And so I was super happy with this result, nil-nil, and Nigeria gets out as an African team. Getting into the next round is huge for them, especially a team that has gone through a bit of turmoil before the tournament. On my side, Sid, I actually think Brosnan for Ireland is goalkeeper of the match. I mean, she made an insane save. Call it the luck of the Irish, I don't know, but she made an insane save to keep Ireland with a nil-nil scoreline for this one. So overall, great match, great result. I'm happy with this one. That is Ireland versus Nigeria, nil-nil draw. 
Okay, next game. I'm so excited to talk about this game. Canada versus Australia. I woke up at 3 a.m. to watch this game. And I just want everyone to know, thank you, Matildas, because I got to go back to bed at the 60th minute. They did what they needed to do. I was a confident fan who felt like I could turn my TV off and get rest before training. And I am so happy that they pulled it together. I was a bit nervous after their their loss to Nigeria, but I just want to talk about mentality in this. I know I've, I've mentioned it a few times and when we've been talking about these games, but Abby, for me, this game, obviously the finishes were, were a big part of it, but mentally... I don't feel like Canada ever stood a chance. They did not let Canada breathe. They looked dangerous almost every time, every time they crossed the 30-yard line, especially on that left side with Steph Catley and Caitlin Ford. Yes, it. well, first of all, I'm so happy for you, buddy. I was also pulling for Australia, but I know, I mean, as your pick, this had a lot riding on it for you. So I'm excited that they got the result, but I have to echo what you said, Sid. This energy, when we talked about balls to the walls last episode, this is exactly what we are talking about. Freaking balls to the walls. Every single player did their job front to back to minute 90. I want to highlight Haley Rasso's performance in this match. Not only did she have two goals, but I also saw her defending in the 90th minute as if she was defending in the first 30 seconds of this match. And I just love to see that. And that extends through the whole squad. On the flip side, though, I, I mean, I thought Canada didn't look ready for this game. I don't know what they were expecting. And this is something that we've talked about with them. They get shot out, right? Like, who's the goal scorer for that squad? But even on the defensive side, if you if you look at their other performances in, in this group, I just felt like they were doing things that they hadn't done, right? Like, they're losing possession. They're losing their marks. It's, like, not great defending. And I feel like if you can't score, you at least need to be able to defend. Right. I'm not I don't 100 percent remember the breakdown, but I'm pretty sure if they had tied this game, they would have gone through. Right. So I just feel like especially when you have chances, because they they had some in the second half. They had some chances to get back into this game. You have to finish. And I just feel like this is what I mean about the mentality piece. Like Australia, every time they even had goals called offside, I think they had one goal called offside. And then in a matter of less than two minutes, they scored a goal like that is all mental. I am backing the Matildas, but what I need from them is for this to continue because they dropped that mental piece against Nigeria and it cost them the game. I'm curious to see how, because Sam Kerr, obviously this gave her more time to get healthy, right? So I'm curious to see now, are we going to see Sam Kerr in this squad and is that going to help them or is that going to hurt them? Because now they've played three games without her. Are you used, are you used to not having her on the pitch now? I almost feel bad for Canada, Sid. Like, I think they did have a lot of turmoil in the camp, not great backing from their federation. They just looked like they lacked confidence all over the pitch. And I'm hoping in the next four years, they'll go back to the drawing board. I think they need to restructure their their federation and really decide how they're going to score goals and what their identity is going forward. So I almost feel bad for them, but really excited for Australia. You mentioned Sam Kerr. She got rest all three games in the group stage. So I'm hoping to see her in the knockout rounds. I think, okay, yes, you make a good point. They have played three games without her. It can only help to have your best goal scorer on the pitch. Looking forward to seeing my pick and seeing what they're able to do next. That is Canada versus Australia, 4-0 Australia.
Next game we're going to touch on, not a lot needs to be said. Vietnam versus Netherlands. This is how you dominate a group. Like this, I'm sorry, I know a ton of people are like, oh, US, Netherlands, blah, blah, blah. Netherlands deserve to finish on top in this group. They're just having fun with it. They're taking space, committing players, slipping in balls. This is a lot like Spain's second game for me, where we talked about the different kind of goals and how great that is as a squad. For me, this is just, this is world-class. This is the scoreline that the U.S. should have had against Vietnam. Yeah, this was a statement by the Dutch team. I think everyone's really clicking and they're picking at the right time. Obviously, Vietnam's not the best opposition for them, but I think this is great confidence for different players. Get their feet wet in the goal-scoring department and Brutes hit some bangers that will definitely be contenders for goals in this tournament. 100%. On the flip side, Vietnam, you know, I just felt like they were diving in, not completing their first pass, ball watching. I think overall, this is such a good experience moment for them. But I I definitely feel like they have a lot to improve on. That is Vietnam versus the Netherlands, 7-0 for the Netherlands. The last game that we're going to touch on in this episode, goodness me, Portugal versus the US. Hot take, Vlatko's getting fired. Sydney sent me something on Twitter that was like the Vlatko tell all written by the players is going to be an absolute sellout and I couldn't agree more I'm just so confused as to what is going on in that camp this is what I was saying in terms of people like I know we've given a lot of heat to this squad but at the end of the day this is a good team right like maybe not they don't have the chemistry But, like, these are good players, and I feel like with better management, they would be doing much better. Rose Lavelle got a a yellow card in this game, so they're going to go into the round of 16 without her. There's headache number one. Headache number two for me is, what do you then do about the midfield? Do you bump Julia Ertz up? So then does that mean you're putting in Alana Cook, who you haven't played at all in the group stage? Like, this is what I mean about poor management. Like, I don't even feel like it's on the players. The one thing that I will say about a sub, Lynn Williams, I was really happy to see her in the starting lineup. And I felt like she did well. Like she generated their best opportunities. Yeah, I was also excited to see Lynn get some some minutes in this tournament. Mind you, her first minutes in this tournament. But again, and I mentioned this in the last podcast, I do think our front line isn't diverse enough to give teams a problem. I think you can lock them down. I think you can manage speed better than you can manage creativity. But like you said, Sid, it's all about management. I think going into the next match, there needs to be a serious reorganization with Juilliard slipping into the midfield. Otherwise, I don't think our midfield stands a chance. Do you look at it going into a 3-5-2? Do you look at a change in formation? I I really don't know. But I did listen to something that Heather O'Reilly said, and she echoed kind of what you your sentiments, Sid. This is a good team. We need to rally behind them. But I will say from a fan's perspective, it's difficult to rally behind a team that just kind of looks lifeless on the pitch. Yeah, and that's the one thing I want to say. Portugal had great combination play in the final third. They were one-twoing and making the U.S. look like dummies, like mannequins on the pitch. And I felt like, for me, Portugal's probably up there with Ireland as one of the best newbies. They're a really great quality side. They had great balls that broke multiple lines against the U.S., and that's really dangerous in a positive way. So I I want to give credit to Portugal. That's one thing. 
on the flip side, it's just not the U.S. that we're used to. And they've gotten a ton of slack in the media. Like Carly Lloyd, I feel like, has said some astronomically outrageous things and like giving them a ton of heat. But at the end of the day, like they are going through. And so if they can pull it together, that's a positive. The one thing that I will say, this is so interesting. So we know now, as we're recording this, we already know like a lot of teams that have gone through, they're going to end up playing Sweden in the round of 16. Sweden versus US has been the one of, I feel like I grew up a lot with that rivalry, right? And so on the one side, you have a lot of film, like you have a lot tactically that you can go over. On the flip side though, a lot of people on that Sweden squad know how the U.S. plays, but a lot of people on the U.S. squad don't know how the Sweden squad plays, right? That's that bit of experience that we've talked about. Personally, I think it's going to take a lot for the U.S. to beat Sweden, but I think it's possible. I just feel like whatever's happening in that camp and whatever the mentality is, it's bleeding through on the pitch, and that scares me. Right. And afterwards, a lot of players were getting interviewed and, and they were saying, you know, we have the mentality. We have the mentality. Well, here you go. Here's a USA versus Sweden match to show your mentality against them. I don't think we're going to see a tactical master class in this in this match. And I I don't know, Sid, like I just can't back them. I, I really I really can't get behind Heather O'Reilly's statements and like support them on this one because I, I just don't think it's there this time around. Yeah, Abby, I think that's definitely a fair point to make. And, you know, like like we just said, they're going to be playing Sweden, right? So this is, it's different than dealing with a Portuguese side. But I just feel like, you know, tell me tell me your thoughts then on on Portugal, right? Because we talked about them as a newbie and, and how they were going to do in this tournament. They dominated this game against the U.S. Not only did they want it more effort-wise, but tactically there was this coordination amongst the players that were just outclassing the defense of our team. I think that almost goal that nicked off the post had everyone off of their couches, including me, because I thought right there it was over. Like they were so close to not only taking out one of the top teams in the world, never mind number one FIFA ranked team in the world, but they were also one goal away, one inch away from moving on in this tournament. So great credit to them, newbies in this tournament. We had high expectations for them from their Euro performance. I'm excited to see how they develop in the next four years. Yeah, that's probably going to be one of the biggest what ifs of this tournament. But I I completely agree about everything that you're saying about the U.S., about Portugal. Portugal, I think this is just the the beginning for them, right? I hope we see them in the next four years. I hope we see them in the next cycle. Um, and I think that they're one of those teams that will start to, to progress positively. With the U.S., I feel like there are a lot of question marks. And, you know, we've talked about it a lot. I'm hoping, again, that they're able to turn things around. But I think this is going to be an early exit from the U.S. Yes, yeah, and I would be remiss not to mention one thing tactically from this game that just really pissed me off. Vlaco put Sauna in and they basically created a back five. That shows that you're trying to preserve a tie. When you do that, when you take Haran out of the midfield, you're opening up a tremendous amount of space in front of your back line. And essentially you're sitting in. To me, that was a foolish rookie mistake and it almost cost us. So that's the one thing that I'll say about Vlaco is like, he is making these like tactical changes, but I almost feel like they're completely the wrong decision. Sorry, that's my hot take on this game. We can have a lot of hot takes about the U.S., but 
All I'm going to say, I'm looking forward to that player tell-all. That is Portugal versus the U.S., nil-nil, draw. Those are the games that we're breaking down for this episode. However, Abby, do you want to share some news about what's coming very shortly? Very exciting. We're actually going to release another episode tomorrow with more games for us to break down, closing out the group stage of this tournament. So stay tuned for that episode dropping tomorrow. In the meantime, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to email us at meggedpodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram at meggedpodcast. We hope everyone enjoyed this episode. Please rate us and leave reviews on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Join us tomorrow as we tackle new topics, fight over our different perspectives, and as always, our hot takes. See you tomorrow on Megged.